This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome to No Really, I'm Fine. Just before we start this episode, we're just letting you know that there are brief discussions on overcoming anorexia and eating disorders. If you're struggling and need support, this is a safe space and there are ways to get help. There's a variety of resources out there and if you're struggling with any of the topics discussed today, BEAT, the UK's eating disorder charity, has an online support group called The Sanctuary, which is open every day and is a safe space to share concerns or struggles relating to lockdown or the pandemic. For support, head to their website where they've set up a dedicated coronavirus help page. You can find out more at beateatingdisorders.org.uk. That's www.beateatingdisorders.org.uk forward slash coronavirus. So hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode of No Really I'm Fine. This is the third episode this week for Mental Health Awareness Week and we are very excited to collaborate with Mental Podcast. And today me and Michael are joined by Bobby Temps. Hi Bobby. Hi, thanks for having me. Are you feeling really fine today? Uh, Yes, I I am. It's uh, been a good Mental Health Awareness Week so far. In many ways it's actually been the most normal feeling week of the lockdown you know I'm so used to always being really hectic when it's these these mental health events um so yeah this week relatively normal which is is strange to say when nothing about our lives is that normal right now I know and I don't know about you but sometimes when I feel like things are going well there's always some around the corner that might surprise us um, I maybe have the opposite of that. <laughs> Do you? Yeah, I, the thing I need to work on is being grateful at like counting my blessings, particularly from a, a work perspective, that often I'll, you know, put out a really great episode of the podcast and I'll be like, yeah, how do we do even better the next one? It's like I need to be better at pausing and appreciating the progress there is. Mm. So for our listeners who who don't know you, Bobby, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Sure. So most people know me as a mental health podcaster. I also campaign for mental health education um, and, yeah, other creative projects alongside that, really. And you started Mental Podcast, didn't you? How how long ago was that now? So it's just past two years, um, which we sort of, we missed coming because we enjoy doing it so much that we didn't even really celebrate the two years well actually we haven't uh, appreciated the fact that this week is actually our one year anniversary for our podcast we launched uh-huh. on uh last year we launched for mental health awareness week so it's actually our anniversary we haven't actually appreciated that at all have we <laughs> it's just been so busy wow okay no i love that so this can be a, a like a special collaboration episode slash birthday that we haven't been celebrating <laughs> happy birthday to us yeah. <laughs> and to you thank you <laughs> it does go really quickly though doesn't it when you're doing these podcast projects yeah and also the amount of content you end up putting out sometimes I think about it and there's 
about 100 hours of me talking about mental health with people out there on the internet and uh, feels kind of daunting sometimes, but exciting too. Yeah, I think also draining as well. Like I know you've, I know Gemma, like we were chatting like just last night about, you know, that how draining this, you know, putting ourselves into these positions and talking about mental health for such a, a long period of time does become quite draining, doesn't it? Right, it can do. I mean, definitely, I think we have the privilege of having guests on. I don't know if I could just speak into the void every week. So yeah, having a co-host, having guests definitely helps with that. But um, no, it can be draining. And the thing I find difficult, most of all, is when I'm tired coming into it. But the way podcasting works, any emotion on air has to be kind of explained. So I can't just be like glum and sleepy and not address that. So then there's a pressure to always present a best self, but then doing that and pretending like you're fine would counteract the message of our podcast. So you've got to find a like an honesty balance whilst also it not being all about you and your feelings day to day. Yeah, I agree. And as well, uh, from what from my point of view, I've learned so much more about other mental health disorders. Um, you know, some that I hadn't even heard of before. Um, and it just shows you that although anxiety and depression is most commonly talked about, and there's nothing wrong with that, it's good that it's being talked about, but there are other disorders, isn't there, that are less so, but I feel like our podcasts do bring that to the forefront. Yeah, and it, it is a challenge to try and get all those different perspectives, and obviously one of the things we do is not only focus on specific mental illnesses, but we do factors in mental health as well, and you know, that is that is endless. I think we'll have themes for the rest of my life for that. Um, but no, I do learn so much from it. And I've and and that's a weird thing to kind of experience sometimes when you're recording that I'll have realizations with the guest. Um, and and sometimes that can even be quite surprising. Uh, so, for example, Fiona Thomas, one of our past guests, she was oh yeah we've we've interviewed Fiona sorry oh, <laughs> oh brilliant we've got all the best people um <laughs> so Fiona came on with us twice and the second time was to talk about imposter syndrome and with that I went in being like oh you know this interests me but I don't think I've ever had any experience of it I don't know if I understand it that well and then about halfway through the interview I realized how much I was resonating with what she said to an extent I get that all the time uh. like with and and I think like the big thing for me is that one thing I didn't really appreciate was that everyone is on different stages of their mental health journeys and I always sort of thought about in terms of like my mental health conditions I always thought about myself and I thought right I'm on this journey I'm at this stage so that means I'm comfortable to talk about xyz and so is everyone else but not everyone is at that stage and that's something which I've learned to be a lot more mindful of when we've been doing the podcast I think that's like been one of my biggest takeaways is that actually you're speaking to people that that they may this may be the first time they're hearing about this but also they they like well as you say the first time they hear about imposter syndrome for example and then they but for someone else they could be been living with that for years and years and you know to have that sort of understanding of that we are all in this together but 
mm-hmm. where it different stages together has been my biggest learning, I think. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's really powerful as well, that we're growing in front of the listeners. So we're learning this thing. We're learning this at the same time. And that's really important because I don't think there is a, a perfect way to address mental health. It's an ongoing process as we all learn to understand as society changes the way it talks about it. You know, there's common phrases um, that are now deemed inappropriate. And at one time that was the technical term. And so, yeah, so I, I think that's pretty incredible, actually. And I'm, I'm glad that you experienced that as well. And before you started Mental Podcasts, Bobby, were you diagnosed with, was it with depression or was that earlier on in life? Talk to us a bit about that. Sure. So I had symptoms of depression for as long as I can remember. Um, So maybe as young as four, but my memory is pretty sketchy that far back. And I, I didn't know what it was at the time. So I knew that I felt low a lot of the time. I knew that I struggled to be happy at times that seemed appropriate. Or there'd be certain days where I'd just wake up almost kind of weak with it you know that everything just felt so much harder to do getting up just having a a normal day um I was sort of emotionally exhausted and had really no insight into what that was in fact I spent years rationalizing in other ways that I thought I was a really lonely person and that's why I was happy around other people as many people as could be around me made me happier. And now looking back, I know that was more so a distraction and a way to escape from what I was experiencing as opposed to that that actually being true. That instead I was becoming more and more used to living behind a mask and, you know, being happy on my birthday because that's what the adults expected or not being sad unless I... I knew why, because people would worry about me and that would upset them. And so, yeah, I had that that mask that people describe built up from a young age. And I think that really held me back, not only in addressing the problems, but then it wasn't until diagnosis I realised, oh, how many of those things were symptoms. Four is quite young as well, isn't it? it? It is, but it's a tricky one because you don't know how far back a lot of these things go that I've had a lot of time to reflect on this um, and I've had counselling and a lot of support that encourages that reflection but one of the statistics we use for the petition is that 75% of mental ill health forms by the age of 18 so you know the majority of mental ill health is starting when you're a child and it is difficult to know how far back that goes. Well, I suppose I think all three of us would probably say that there we you know just to just to do a straw poll I know that you know my mental health illness has started when I was 17 and 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 Gemma we know you've always talked about it being from a young age from you as well the, the big thing is is that I do feel like there's we're not there yet but there's a, probably a lot more support than there was when we were I, I think we're all similar ages I'm guessing but when I was younger the support just wasn't there but my little cousin, I know, who's about 10 or 11, he was, he actually, they have, they, he actually was going through, he's been going through counselling sessions from through age school. And that was never something that was there when I was, when I was younger. It's interesting when you say about um, 
reflecting as well, Bobby, because I'm currently going through therapy and counselling at the moment and it's um it's a therapy called schema therapy and it's all about um looking at what happened when you were a child and how that's developed um into your adult self and I always thought that my I hate to use the word problems but my sort of illnesses developed when I was a teenager and when I was a young teenager but it's actually interesting to learn through that process that it it does go further back in in you know around about six seven eight years of age so it's interesting how um you know everyone's different in terms of when they think or believe those things perhaps began right yeah if that makes sense no it does make sense (laughs) and I'm very glad you're getting counseling welcome to the club um so yeah that is a great point though and I think that's that really highlights how we need to look at mental health in a broader way that when we take away this idea of binary illness that you're either ill or you're well you can find there's a lot to be learnt in that in between and there's also a lot of other factors that people don't consider so part of mental illness forming from a really young age is because of the environment you grow up in and so if there's unhealthy coping mechanisms around you or if there's conflict at home or if you feel unsafe a lot of mental illness can come out of that So if a lot of your issues come from home or from growing up, then it makes sense that those would trace very far back. You know, um, those issues are unlikely to have just formed at, let's say, 15. So what made you want to start the podcast then? Were you sort of experienced in broadcasting before? Did you enjoy that medium or was it a completely new thing to you? It was quite new. So the only... So I'd done a bit of campaigning around other issues in the past and media was attractive to me, but I didn't have really any experience outside of modelling, which is a space where you're very much, um, where you're very passive and you stand there and you wear this and you pose like that. Um, So I think it was slightly out of that hunger um, and being in an environment where mental illness could be quite prevalent, um, that... Yeah, I wanted to do something creative and to give back for a lot of the support I'd got and also find a positive in my own struggle that I'd learned so much through it, including empathy uh, and an ability to articulate my feelings that I, I didn't have as much growing up. And so, yeah, it was a way to, to do something with that, to be productive and to fight the stigma for other people like me. Just to go back a little bit to when you were talking about, you know, when you were a model, sorry, you still are a model, and talking about um, that industry as well, you know, that you know, for us, journalism is a is an industry that <laughs> is not great in anyone's mental health for lots of reasons, but <laughs> modeling is actually one that we probably, I've never discussed about before about that, and you said, you mentioned there about it being, there being lots of mental health issues around the people that are in the industry and things like that if you're able to talk a little bit about that because that is quite interesting to me sure no I can definitely talk about that it is tricky though because I think it's more nuanced than a lot of people assume they think that oh the industry is harsh the industry is very narrow in its ideas of beauty and that affects people's mental health and there are elements of that and certainly people can be vulnerable to unsupportive agencies or awful clients 
that can cause a lot of those issues. But what I see more so is that a lot of people go into modelling with potential vulnerabilities or with pre-existing mental health issues. So I used to help train the models at, at my agency and a lot of the time they'd come in and because of my own experience of mental ill health, I could tell very quickly when they had issues and they maybe were coming into it for unhealthy reasons. So, for example, one thing that's really common is people will try and get into modelling as a form of validation if they have cripplingly low self-esteem. And that's a concern not only that, you know, it should be a kind of yes and industry. You know, you come in with a certain amount of confidence and self-belief and that's a bit of your shield to survive some of those challenges. But also it's not actually going to help that. You know, if if you do still book jobs and you do get positive feedback and you do get a big campaign and see your face in lights, that's only going to be validation if there's some kind of self-belief and self-worth there to validate. And and I think that's why, for me, I'm kind of quite defensive of the industry at times because I was at a very supportive agency. And, you know, one of the first things my agent said to me was, was she had a conversation with me about, you know, my appearance and the certain things like, you know, how your hair is styled, you have to run by the agency if you're making a big change. But then she also makes sure to talk to models about their body image. And, you know, she had that conversation with me, checked in on on where I was with it. And I think from her experience, read that I had anorexia very quickly and made sure to tell me, not to lose weight. She was like, you're absolutely fine as you are. I don't want you to think you need to lose any weight for this industry. Of course, you can do a bit more sport in a healthy way, in a not obsessive way, but I don't want to see you running or doing anything that's going to burn a lot of fat. Um, And, you know, that, so I really benefited from that, going in and having that that protective um, aspect to the industry. That's really refreshing to hear. Sorry, that, I was just going to say that's really refreshing to hear because often as journalists we hear or write about all the negative side of, of industries mm-hmm. so to know that that support does exist is is nice. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it is a difficult issue and there are a lot of people that really struggle, particularly with eating disorders, particularly with self-esteem in that industry. But um for me, the biggest factor I've seen is is the position people are entering the industry in, as opposed to it being this this uh, thing where they come in completely fine, um, and then modelling destroys them. I I think that's that's quite unhealthy, and it potentially takes away um, autonomy from models that you're just you know being pushed around and you're totally the puppet of the industry. And I I mean I don't feel like that. Yeah. Has anorexia been in your life for quite some time then? Is it something that you've experienced when you were younger or older or how, how are you now with it? So yes, also something I've experienced for a long time. Uh, it came out of body dysmorphia initially. So again, from a young age, I had a quite a distorted image of myself. Um, the best way I've found to describe it is that I'd look in the mirror and... 
it would almost be like looking at a Picasso painting. Like the dimensions of my face and my body seemed all wrong. And I remember, you know, going to school and looking at other people and wondering why they look normal and I didn't. Or looking at my parents and thinking, you know, you seem like okay-ish, attractive-ish people. Like what, what happened here? What went wrong? Um, and a lot of that was was confidence issues and a lot of that were, um, was body dysmorphia, um, a misformed view of myself. And whilst my whilst I did a lot of work on my confidence to try and live through that later on in life, that did develop into anorexia as a way to control my appearance, but also deal with other stresses in my life that I wasn't coping very well growing up a lot of the time and when you're a young person what you put into your mouth can be one of the few things you do feel in control of so that led to a lot of restricting around my eating it also led to to lying and you know me pretending that I'd eaten out with friends when I hadn't as a way to to feel safer and more in control of my life I, of course, understand now how maladaptive that was. But as a young person with really no understanding of mental health, that felt a a safe thing to do. Something which is quite interesting, um, just just to sorry to, to move the conversation just a little bit back to to your podcast. Mm. You know, have you found that doing the podcast that you know talking about you know your experiences has become something which is a lot easier or do you find you know what you've just shared versus you know incredibly intimate and obviously absolutely thank you for sharing that with us and do you find that when you talk about those things do you find that it coming to more acceptance with your mental ill health is you know is becoming a, a bit easier to to cope with if that makes sense yes definitely and you're right it does get a lot easier the more you talk about it um certain things are still very difficult to talk about and I do tend to talk about depression when I talk about anorexia um, and that's that's not by coincidence um, but no it, it does get easier definitely and it helps you in articulating what you've experienced find a logic in it you know find out what what your story was and and what what you can do about that story, I guess, you know, that's a big element of counselling is you put things out on the table, you let it out and then you see, okay, is there a shape I can make with this? Is there something I can do here? And that's definitely been my experience in speaking up about this. And even more so, the thing that's been really powerful is how people have responded to that. That a lot of the loneliness I described earlier came from me as a young child struggling, putting on a mask, pretending I was okay, and probably a lot of other people around me doing exactly the same. And that felt very isolating, that I thought it was just me struggling this much. And in understanding my experiences better and finding role models and sharing my story, I found that my experience is surprisingly universal, that a lot of the themes and a lot of the issues are very broad and there's something uniting and reassuring in that. How have you been coping during this strange, difficult <laughs> time then since we entered lockdown? I don't know how many weeks ago now. I, I've lost count as well. Um, 
It's uh, It's been a challenge, but I think in many ways I've maybe skipped the panic stage of it. That initially it was kind of shock and it hadn't really sunk in. And I was watching the news constantly and just trying to figure it out. Um, and maybe that was a bit of a distraction for actually checking in with how I was doing. And so I kind of went straight from that into, okay, I'm a mental health podcaster and I strongly believe that COVID-19 is going to affect everyone's mental health. Thank God not everyone's physical health, but I believe everyone's mental health will be affected by the whole pandemic. And so we switched to covering that exclusively on the podcast. And that that was lucky in a way. That's a privilege in that I still had an outlet. I still was meeting new people by the guests I'm interviewing. So in many ways, I'm keeping my usual extroverted self. And it gave me something productive to do with all the news I was consuming and all the like conversations with friends of like, isn't this wild? What the hell is going on? Um, it gave me, it meant that I had to form a narrative and a cohesive thought in my head for the listeners. And that definitely helped me figure things out. The the news is is just mad, isn't it? And, uh, you know, there, there's, there's lots of negatives to it, but there are positives to it as well. And I know that you've been doing a petition as well. Like it was obviously something really positive to keep out of that. What, tell us a little bit about that as well. Sure. No, you're right. It has been some really positive news. So I campaigned for mental health education to be rolled out in all schools in the UK. And there's been some really great progress with that coming to schools in England and Wales for primary and secondary from September. Um, of course, providing schools are back by then, we'll see. Uh, but that is now in law for both nations. That's incredible. Did you have to you obviously take the, the, the petition to Parliament? Was it debated? Were you involved? Or how did, how did that go? Sure. So a long process. And not just me. There was an incredible campaigner called Laura Darrell who uh, preceded my campaign um, and really, I think, piqued the interest in this for a lot of people. And then I happened to come along um, when she was taking more of a step back from that um, and take up the torch as people have progressively become more conscious about mental health. It just became the right time. Um, and so, yeah, nearly 200,000 signatures later, hopefully we'll reach that big 200K this week, which would be pretty fun. Um, and yeah, handed it into Downing Street and the Devolve Parliaments. Um, there was... Uh, so, sorry, I'm trying to think of a, <laughs> a simple way to explain this. Um, and so the respective devolved parliaments and their, their education sections in particular focused on this. And so I got to be involved in how that education was shaped, not only it's being agreed to happen, but actually going through line by line of what's going to be included. Um, so that was really great. And so I can have so much confidence that it's a solid curriculum and it's as broad as I want it to be. And and our petition signers know it needs to be because a big concern of mine was because the stigma is so prevalent, the governments may just kind of allow it to slip in in a very subtle, narrow way um, just to kind of tick a box and not make it as effective as it really could be, as, as life-transforming as it could be for young people. Um, but I'm pleased to say that with a lot of work, it, it is a really broad curriculum. It's not only maybe the obvious elements, like what are some common mental illnesses, what are their symptoms, and maybe the more scientific element in that way. But there's also 
going to be discussion around what are healthy relationships at home, what are healthy relationships at different ages for young people, um, the impact of other factors like stress at school on your mental health, where you can get support uh, with different conditions, what kind of support is available. So it's actually been really broad and, and very exciting to see. But would that be your proudest achievement then, which is it fair to say? Yes, I think so. And I mean, I hope I have many more. Of course, I hope this, um, I'm continuing to campaign for this to be rolled out for Scotland and Northern Ireland as well. Um, but no, it is it is mind boggling to think that the generations below us will grow up with an education I've been a part of. And that's what it comes down to, that if they don't have that, if they talk about so many other things in school that that could be taboo, like sex education, and they talk about other kinds of health, like physical health, but they ignore mental health, that's a big seed for the stigma. That if you, as a young person, never hear this talked about, never acknowledged, and yet, like me, you were living with symptoms throughout school, then you'll naturally think that's something bad, that we don't talk about that, that it's not okay to speak about, and that Maybe I'm at fault that I'm struggling with this. I should be struggling with a normal thing, like the other things we talk about in school. And, and so that's my, my biggest hope with this, that that's removed and that young people get the support sooner, they get the support better, and, and schools will be incredible for that. And that is absolutely fantastic. So well done with that. And something just to maybe close our conversation or bring everything back together is to talk about Mental Health Awareness Week's theme this week is kindness. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think, you know, it's absolutely brilliant theme to have. I mean, this is actually my first chance I've had this week to to sit and actually spend some time to talk about it. So Bobby, why don't we start with you just kept the ball rolling a little bit to talk about kindness. I mean, it's such a broad subject, isn't it? <laughs> Go anywhere. Sure. Well, I am really delighted like you that that's the theme this year. It's so relevant right now. And on our show, we've been covering potential positives through the pandemic. And the things that maybe we could bring out of this time of increased reflection um, and sort of a, a global pause we've all had had to have like, that I think maybe for the UK the last time was the Olympics when we all seem to be behind something and then since then it's been so divisive politically, socially there's been a lot of people out there struggling uh, of course with their mental health among other things and so that's been something lovely to see. I would never wish a pandemic like this, but if something we can get out of it is that we're all reminded why it's important to be kind and look after each other, then that's at least something. You're so right because you know it's even like the the little going out to do the clap for carers on a th on a Thursday night is is something which is it's just sort of a little thing and I know a couple of people have said oh I'm absolutely sick of doing this I don't see the point of doing it it was it was a funny thing to do once or twice but actually you know you, you go outside and there's a lady across uh, who just lives down from where I live at the minute and you know she I'm in quite an isolated community. So seeing her from her window, because she literally cannot leave her house, and just she just goes to her window, opens, the, cracks the window open, and then 
and then clacks with a, a pot and pan. So that is just, you know, something, you know, just so nice to see. It's so lovely and it's just, it brings everyone together. So it's, it's really nice, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And with our podcast, we did a, a special episode yesterday on some of our listeners and some of our previous guests got involved about what kindness actually means to themselves and how they can be more kind to themselves. And I think, I think that's sometimes the hardest thing to work out, isn't it? To, I mean, with me, I'm very good at giving advice to other people, but I'm not very good at taking my own advice. <laughs> so to actually sit down and think, how can I be more kind to myself? You know, how can I cut myself some slack? That's That's been refreshing and to see. And also during this lockdown, okay, it's, you know, what's going on is, is terrible. And a lot of people are sadly passing away. But at the same time, everyone has, like you said, probably a pause and to reflect on how, you know, how we can be kind and happy for ourselves. Yeah. No, it is it is heartwarming to see and I do hope that we come out of this having learnt a lot, you know, not just from a healthcare perspective, but in terms of becoming a community, a more united people again, um, and hopefully get behind some really big causes like more resources for the NHS, like better appreciation for, for key workers, um, that previously weren't really thought of and a continued focus on people's vulnerabilities as well. Because during this conversation um, about COVID-19, there is so much focus on on issues like domestic violence, like uh, people that are unable to leave their homes due to being frail and needing carers coming in, uh, like the vulnerabilities in care homes, for example. Um, the importance of education and the inequality around it. There's there's so many things that right now have an intense focus, but most of them aren't new issues. Domestic violence needed to be talked about before. Inequality in education, inequality in healthcare. These issues existed beforehand, and so I really hope we keep focused on them and that with my petition and with the podcasting that we're doing, we're doing our bit to keep that conversation going. 